The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side Studies. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. On my left today is Cherry Lewis. Hello. And behind the glass is Mr. Andy Bishop. Hey. Of Giraffe Studio in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And you sort of, you've kind of survived this electrical storm. You've, You've had, you had a big hit. Oh, uh, well, I wouldn't say big, speaking in terms of present company. Yeah, but it, it, we lost everything having to do with networking and one outboard compressor so far. God willing, not more. Although there's other stuff that's acting funny and I'm just pretending. Yes. That- Andy needs your prayers, everybody. He does not have Netflix. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> this is awful. It is awful. Or Peacock or Hulu or HBO Max or any of the other Crunchy things. Crunchyroll, nothing. None of it. <laughs> well, maybe you still have TikTok. Well, we could watch watch TV on our phones like plebeians. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, of course, this is a side study, and so we don't have uh, Billy Kimsey with us. I spoke with Ralph Hicks, and uh, Ralph informed me that uh, he he's actually been in California, which is where his mother and his aunt were. Uh, His aunt uh, is on life support and is not expected to make it uh, in the next couple of days. So our hearts go out to Ralph, but he was able to get his mother. Uh, some help, and they moved her in a in a assisted living facility out in California. That's very close to his brother, and so she's she's doing well. She's actually okay. Oh, that's that's yep. good. So he is flying so back today. Mother and his aunt at the same time. Same time, hey. yeah. He yeah he he had a rough go of it, but he is uh, flying back today and uh, should be back in town uh, probably by now. I'm sure he's tired, but uh, he's he was working out on the West Coast. Uh, remotely, so he's having to get up, you know, starting his day at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, trying to do that plus take care of everything. But he was able to do it. So I'll be glad to see Ralph. Uh, next week, yep. we won't have Cherry because Cherry is going on a mission trip to, is it Fort Hall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a, uh, well, why don't you tell us? Indian Reservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We go out there and we teach vacation Bible school uh, to the children on the reservation. This makes my fourth or fifth year. Where, there. where is it? Like, is it like North Carolina or is it like? No, no, Midwest it's in or? Idaho. Idaho. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, from what I understand, you know, the American Indian, uh, the Native American is a uh, really a forgotten people. And uh, Gary Locklear, who is, uh, who runs the Native American Mission Fund and works through Anchor Baptist out of Pisca Forest. Uh, he travels around from reservation to reservation and uh, tries to, you know, not only just share the gospel, but also he gives and gives and gives. They build churches, they build homes, they get food for people, they try to do Bible schools. Like they're trying to do everything they possibly can for these people. And they are shorthanded. Uh, they don't have a lot of ministers that are on these reservations. And we're used here in the South to having, you know, a Baptist church, you know, within a quarter mile of each other, 
you know? Yeah, it's true. In the middle so of town, yeah, I mean, you could stand on one and see five. Exactly. And there's just, uh, we have numerous churches, but there, um, it could be 40 miles before you see the next church. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, that area out there is um, heavily populated with Mormons. So mm-hmm. you see a lot more Mormons out there than you do mm-hmm. Baptist churches or Sure. I have mean, this weird bias about Mormons that they generally seem to be nice people, and it's like supported by nothing except possibly episodes of South Park. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my weird bias about Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, so we have been working on uh, the origins of Satan. Of course, we started with the Lucifer study. We got into the origin of Satan. And in that last side study, uh, we really, you know, broke down that in the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot about Satan in it. Uh, it's we learned about Hasatan, which was the Satan, and we uh, the the function of yep the function of the adversary. Uh, there's there's a little bit more that I've done some research on that comes from the Old Testament, but this week, and I'm going to go over those, but this week we're also going to get into the pseudepigrapha. And so if you've listened to the previous podcast, you know that's Second Temple Literature or Pseudepigrapha, which means falsely ascribed writings. And that's where you have a book that is named after someone, for instance, uh, First Book of Enoch. And uh, Enoch was the seventh from Adam in the book of Genesis. And so that name has some clout to it. Uh, he is one of the men, he and Elijah are the, the men in the Old Testament that actually walked with God or were prophets that were taken up and never tasted death. And so the book of Enoch, if you ever read it, uh, you find out that he he tells you who the watchers are, and you'll actually find that word in the book of Daniel three times. And that's the only place that you ever see those words. But the book of Enoch gets in depth on who the watchers are when they started, which is the Nephilim, which we've talked about, the sons of God that slept yeah. with the daughters of men. And it gets into uh, the angels that fell. And when we did the study in the first, uh, on the Lucifer study, we read out of Isaiah 14, and I told you that even though she's correct as far as the transliteration of the word Lucifer out of Latin, and that it was a god uh, to the Romans, but also that there were times whenever stars were used as heavenly beings in the Old Testament. And so there was a king of Babylon or someone who was falling because of their arrogance. And whenever the prophet Isaiah is explaining this fall, it's sort of alluding to something, you know, like prehistory, like something that happened before the world began, kind of uh-huh. an idea. So there's there's a sister to it. It's, it's in Ezekiel. It's in Ezekiel 28. And I'm going to pull that up real quick. I want to read it in the Common English Version because, or actually in the uh, English Standard Version, because I want to... Uh, to understand it just a little bit further. And if you will, um, Cherry, will you pull up Ephesians chapter 6 while I'm also looking uh, up this scripture here in Ezekiel 28? If you remember in uh, Isaiah, it's talking about the king of Babylon. In Ezekiel 28, it's talking about the prince of Tyre. So starting with verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods and the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel, no secret is hidden from you. 
By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain and the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. So far, so good. This is a man who's considering himself to be a god. So God is saying, oh, you think you're a god? I'm going to throw you down. So is he considering himself to be a god, or is he just kind of like a, a bit, we'll say, high and mighty and maybe overproud and— Sort well, of thing, or is he literally considering himself a god? Or is he considers just... himself a god. There are several nations that, like for instance, the ancient Egyptians. You know, these emperors were considered godlike. You know, and because the people considered them to be god, they would worship these people. So okay, so it's not just like it's not Jeff Bezos. It's uh, a you know a Russian czar or somebody. That's right. You know, you know, like some political figure that whose power is ascribed to them through some religious divination or something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When you get to verse number 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now pay attention. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now listen to this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created— Till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever." So it kind of takes a little twist there because it's talking about this man, but then all of a sudden he starts talking about you were in Eden. You were on the mountain of God. You walked before the stones of fire. I did a little research on the stones of fire. It's kind of a confusing thing. It's, it's uh, scholars sort of debate this. You know, scholars be- believe that, and some scholars believe that the stones of fire are actually other divine beings, like they were in a throne room, kind of like it's described. Huh. Huh. 
like yeah. the divine council, like yeah. these stones of fire. I, I sort of thought of like being at the mountain of God and you see these big stones and there's like fire on top of it. And he's walking in the midst of this place. Like that's kind of how I envisioned it. But these scholars say no, based on this language that they're using, that it's more like it's a being. So I don't really know. I, it's hard to say. Sometimes some of the stuff I hear in the Old Testament feels a little, uh, oh, what's the word? Uh, polyamorous is not it. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, there's really there's kind of more than one God. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes the Old Testament pantheistic. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and sometimes the Old Testament feels that way. Sometimes when I hear things to me. So there's a reason why you feel that way, and in my opinion, it's because it's true. We've been we've been shown, like I've said so many times, a dualist philosophy. It's been controlled really through the language itself. But the more that you read and the more you understand, like in Deuteronomy, I think it's 28, it says that, no, it's actually in Psalm 82, it says that God, he is, that Yahweh is the God of gods. Right, yeah, that that I'm familiar with, the kind of, the, that there might be one above others, but but it there seems to be others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, in my opinion there were others. I believe that there was a time when they were destroyed by God. It it feels like mythology. It sounds so much like Zeus and Poseidon and Ares and like the right era, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very close, you know? So if, in fact, whenever the apostle Paul was walking around, he was in the Parthenon, he was walking through Greece, you know, and there was, there's, he said that there was a temple to all the different gods, you know? So, um, was it Greece? Yeah, I think it was. Corinth. Yeah, I think when he walked around in Corinth, which is a... Uh, isn't that in Greece? I think. Forgive me. I think Corinth is in Greece. I would have to Google it. Yes. You Googleize it. I will. And so, yeah, so he talks about there was a... Like Paul even said that there was a... Uh, yeah, city in Greece. It is, yeah. So he spent a couple of years, I think, in Corinth whenever he was uh, raising the church there. But anyhow... Um, as we keep trying to find, you know, Satan in the Old Testament, because it says you were in Eden and that you were a guardian cherub, it kind of feels like that's who the serpent would be because he was in Eden and he had Adam and Eve and he deceived Eve who ate of the fruit. And then he was cast down. Remember, it says that he would, by the, he would eat the dust, you know, and he so it's it's like he he was cast down at that point because you'll find in the pseudepigrapha, which we're going to go into, there's an actual book called The Life of Adam and Eve, and it is fascinating. Interesting. I've never heard of that one. Not that I have deep knowledge in this or anything, but... Yeah, and I hadn't heard of it either. And so as I started searching, it actually gives you the perspective from the devil, from the serpent. Oh, wild. That's funny. Yeah. It's, so how, what, where does this date from? This, this, this was around, I think two or 300 BC. Uh-huh. So it's pre-Christ. These books were written during the second temple. So it would have been after the exile to Babylon, after the temple had been destroyed. And then the, the Medes and the Persians allow them to go back. Or maybe it's the Assyrians at this point that allow them to go back to the homeland. When Ezra and Nehemiah are building the wall, they rebuild the temple. And then after that, this was around you know, 400 BC to the time of Christ, there were some books that were being written. And they're not 
part of the canon. And and I'm sure the authorship is debated, but it's at least old. It is old. That's something. Yeah, and they found copies of these books in Qumran, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they found several of these books there. And so these these guys, the Essenes, who were in the Qumran village, they were a devout Jewish sect, and they had kept all of these scriptures, you know, in their library. And I mean, it was discovered in 19, what, 47, 1946? Yeah. There wasn't, wasn't there like more they found in, I want to say the 90s or something? Too? They, well, they continued to search. I don't, I couldn't tell you the date, but they continued to search and found more fragments and more. Oh, I see. I see. It was just like ongoing more than yeah. it was a new find. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, I don't know that the, I think they're, they're finished theoretically, but they're still out there digging, you know, looking for these things. So in the, um, the strange part about this, though, with the pseudepigrapher, one of the books is called the Book of Enoch, and there were, it was like three volumes. And the first Book of Enoch, which talks about the Watchers, I, I had said in the previous podcast that the New Testament actually quotes from it. And when I was reading the Bible as a younger Christian, I used to love to find where the prophet said this, and then I would go back and try to find it in the Old Testament, like, oh, okay, here's where it says it, you know? And then I get, like, thoroughly confused because I didn't understand it because this prophecy was talking about Israel, but then suddenly it was almost like it was a prophecy for Christ, you know? I'll give you an example. When it says, out of Egypt I called my son, you know, if you go back to the book of Hosea where that's written, he's talking about Israel as the son being called out of Egypt. But Matthew uses it saying that Christ was out of Egypt, I called my son. So it's like Christ is the new Israel, which totally makes sense when you think about the promise made to Abraham. So it's it was very confusing when I used to look. So when I got to this one in Jude, I went and looked for it and couldn't find it because it wasn't in the Bible. And so it made me wonder, is there a lost book? Like what, you know, or did Jude make a mistake and quote something incorrectly, you know? Well, I'm going to read that. What do you think about this, Cherry? What about him possibly being wrong or a missing book of the Bible or? Yeah, like, don't you find it odd that a New Testament writer would quote from a book that's not in your own Bible? Yes. Do you feel like if that book was ever found, that it should at least be maybe uh, discussed a little further and possibly, you know, it's, they're quoting from a book and... Whenever you went to school, did you ever get into hermeneutics? Yes. Okay. So, you know, in her, hermeneutics, uh, by definition, uh, I actually looked this up that, So, just in case nobody knew what it meant. It's the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary text. So, this is there's hermeneutics and then there's biblical hermeneutics. So, in biblical hermeneutics, it's scripture must bear out scripture in order to formulate a doctrine, right? So if there's scripture in the New Testament that is quoting from another book that's not in the canon, then how do you verify that first, you know, how do you verify that Jude was correct? It was questionable whether Jude was even going to be allowed in the Bible and Revelation. There were several Hebrews, they didn't, there were several books that, that, that may have or may not have made it into the canon, but they did. They passed the test of time and then they were put in. You know, does it, does it make you question anything at all? Or are you just like, meh? Well, I can't remember um, where I had read it in the Bible, not specifically like which 
book of the Bible, but I had read that when they were writing the scrolls, um, a king or someone had it destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so then, of course, the way it read to my understanding was that Christ then called another man to rewrite the scrolls. Mm-hmm. And just personally, I've never voiced my Christ? opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Christ did? That God In the did. Old Testament? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. that God did. And... um. I thought you were talking about like New Testament. No, no, this Old is Testament. Old Testament. So are you talking about Ezra, where Ezra had to rewrite the scriptures? Maybe, maybe that's it. I just was there. There was um, scrolls; they were destroyed. Mm-hmm. He called someone else to to write them again, and you know, I, personally, I thought, well, I mean, obviously, if it's inspired by God, it's going to be what He wants you to write down. But you know, you have to wonder at some point in time: is there something? Missing or not brought forth after sure. the fact since some was destroyed. That was just my own personal take on it when I read that. I just, I've always wondered how, whenever all of these writings were being put together, like you've, you know, about Nicaea, you know, you've mentioned Nicaea, and when, whenever they had the councils and they would get together and the church fathers would determine what books should go into the Bible, when they finally landed on you know, all 66 books of our current Bible that we use, then as time goes by, after thousands of years, things are discovered. We learn new things. We find new books, We things we've never heard of, uh, things that were mentioned by the early church fathers, like uh, Irenaeus, who'd said that the Gospel of Thomas or the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, uh, or the or I can't remember which one anyway, that um, it was a heresy. So he wrote this book on what his thoughts were, heretical books were. But I thought it was interesting. The Book of Enoch, um, the church fathers, uh, Athenagoras, Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus, who was the one who really wrote that book on heretical books, and Tertullian uh, around uh, 200 AD, stated that the Book of Enoch had been rejected by the Jews, um, but they accepted it, and they wanted to accept it into the canon. And the reason why was because uh, it contained prophecies pertaining to Christ in the Book of Enoch, Enoch, or however you say it. So some of the early church fathers wanted it in there, and it didn't make it. So, now, so I'm kind of a little confused then. There's other books in the Bible that speak of prophecy of Christ. That's right, and they're in it. And they're in it. So I don't understand why that book would specifically, that would be the reason why that book's not included. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like the Hebrew Bible itself, the original one, you know, and it—, it it's important to understand this in our study about trying to figure out who Satan is, that you're not going to be able to put two and two together just going from Old Testament to New Testament. It's not going to happen because it doesn't make any sense. Where did all these demons suddenly come from? Why is Christ going after them and exercising them out of people? Why is there a big fight? <clears throat> where did this character who comes in, the devil, where does he show up for the temptation in the desert? Who is this guy? Where do we, you know, all of a sudden we're just taught it. We're taught that Satan exists. He's the arch enemy of God and this is it. But if you read the Bible and no one talks to you about anything, you're going to ask yourself the question, who is this guy and where did he come from? Yeah, where, yeah. yeah. Just by reading. But if you look at the pseudepigrapha, 
And you read these books like the Book of Enoch or the Life of Adam and Eve, or I think it's called Jubilees. I mean, there's all kinds of books that actually help you understand who these gods are, where they came from, when they fell, and then suddenly things like that are very confusing, like Galatians 3 and 4, when you read it and you're like, I kind of get what he's talking about, but I feel like he's really not talking about Adam. I feel like he's talking about something else. Like it's, it can, it feels a little confusing sometimes. And then when you read these other books and it's like, oh, like it suddenly makes sense to you. It starts to come together. What is the Galatians 3 and 4? Uh, the whole chapter. Or is it huge? Is that? Like yeah, it's pretty huge. I mean, oh, okay. I, I can absolutely go into it, but, and I, you know, and I absolutely, and I am well, definitely going to. Yeah, maybe not if it's not, not right on now, this episode, huge, yeah. but whenever we, because right now we're on the pseudepigrapha and then we're going to get to the New Testament and we're going to start really seeing who Satan was. And then we can break down um, the sin of the watchers. Like when this, like why man operates the way that we do, the way, the way that we read it because of Romans and, the, you know, what Paul said, which was a, a much later epistle than Galatians, when Romans was his last letter. And so in the book of Galatians, you really start to wonder if he's, because he, he doesn't mention Adam. And unless you read Romans, you don't understand the fall of man was caused by Adam and that sin entered through Adam. Yes, sin did enter through Adam, but according to the book of Enoch, it wasn't Adam that taught man how to do all of these evil things. It was the fallen angels that did it, the watchers that had fallen, and that had come and taught man how to use iron for battle and how to make makeup so that you can create lust in a man and like, you know, uh, pharmakeia. You remember me telling you about that? We talked about that. So the word uh, pharmacy that we use in our current language um, its root is from a Greek word, pharmakeia, which means, uh, what was it? Spellbinding and magic. Yeah. Basically, witchcraft. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, it's super neat. So go to the Ingalls Witchcraft Store, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, go to Daily. your local CVS witchcraft place and get your whatever it is that you need. Yeah, I, now I will always think of it like that. Like every store has a witchcraft That's section. exactly right. Like Walgreens, that big W stands for witchcraft on the front of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but isn't it interesting? I mean, that the pharmaceutical companies do wield a lot of power. There's a lot of money involved in it. And, um, you know, back then it was this medicine men that would use specific things. I mean, look, we were just talking about my great grandmother the other day and how I was terribly, terribly sick. And she made what was called a hot toddy. So she boiled an onion and then she put rock and rye in it. And then you drank it. And if you were congested, it would knock it right out of you. That's not my hot toddy. What was your hot toddy? Lemon, honey, and white liquor. <laughs> The one I know is uh, lemon, honey, and uh, and brown liquor. Yep. But yeah, lemon and honey. The, Either the one of them. Is, I'm drinking yeah. it. I'd I'm say gonna... any liquor. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid if I take that, I'll end up on a mattress and somebody showing me their secret. No. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Bum 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 bum. So, yeah. So that this this study has led me down some really interesting places, Andy. So, you know, thanks for sending me a TikTok. Yeah, don't send me any more of those. So I'm going to read Jude 1, uh, verse 14 through 15, so that you can hear what I'm talking about. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, 
prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when I went on the search, I was like, oh man, I want to see where that was set. You know, was that Isaiah or was that Hosea or whatever? And you go through it and it's like, it's nowhere. It's not in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. And you're like, oh, right. So he's quoting from something. Where did he get it from? So tell me, Jude, you know, like I really, hey, Jude, <laughs> where's that verse? So it was very confusing, but doing, I bought the book of Enoch when I was down uh, at that Jean's Books. Uh, down in Sanibel, you know, I told you that really awesome bookstore. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, so they had a copy of it. I was like, hey, there's that book I've been looking for. So I picked it up and I read it. And man, it's mind-boggling, you know, or as Will Ferrell says, mind-boggling. Whenever you, when your thoughts get caught up in your brain like a bottle. So listen, First Enoch chapter 2, verse 1, or depending on which one you get, it could be First Enoch chapter 1, verse 9. It says, and behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to destroy all the ungodly and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's the exact verse. So this New Testament book, it's a single chapter, quotes Enoch, and it's not in our canon. Now, what do we do with that? When we're Christians, how do we handle that? Do we just say, whatever? No. Or if if Jude says that this is scripture, then should we at least consider it scripture, even if it's not canonized? Maybe it didn't need to be in the canon. I mean, I've listened to several scholars. Some people think it shouldn't be in the canon because they understood the language and it could have been quoted among the people or whatever. But this is obvious to me. I would say as a Christian— what God wants in there will be in there, and what He doesn't want in there won't be in there. It's not to say that the book is false or that, I mean, obviously, if Jude makes reference to it, um, it's not that it's not to be studied mm -hmm. or understood by any means. It's just that it wasn't meant to be in the Bible, because even if... Many scholars felt that it wasn't supposed to be in the Bible, in my belief, in my faith. If it's meant to be there, it would be there. So what if I told you that it is in the Bible? It's just not your Bible. Then, I mean, there's m many versions of the Bible. Mm -hmm. I've told you my thought on the versions of the Bible before. Yeah. Um, I'm not opposed to thinking that there might be a Bible out there that's includes things that my Bible doesn't include. Sure. So to me, if I'm getting into the New Testament and I'm learning about Jesus and he's going against Satan in the wilderness and he is going to destroy Satan ultimately, do you think that it would be fair that if Jude was quoting from a book that actually taught you who Satan was, that maybe it might be beneficial? I think the answer is yes. yes. And for someone to say that it can't be in there, I'm at least going to read it. And if it helps my understanding, I'm good with that. What's the difference in reading that as reading many other books that are written by people Preachers preach out of the pulpit saying, well, according to this commentary or that commentary, mm -hmm. you know, 
this is their take on that. If you read in the King James Bible and you read the portion of the study part at the bottom, or you're not reading someone else's. Anytime you're reading That's, a commentary. Yeah, true. Absolutely yeah, true. So, it's helping you formulate your belief yeah. by listening to what other people teach you. And most of the things that you learn as a Christian, you get from that. So I've discovered that if we, if you go into a quiet place and you really seek after these things with God, if you do your studies, if you research, Google is a wonderful resource, guys. It's amazing. Like you can do some serious searches. It'll get you some pretty cool places. Like that, the life of Adam and Eve, I, it was a free download PDF. It was on Google and it was awesome. You know, this is great. The information's out there. So if we're figuring this out and we're learning this and we're going after who is, okay, let's find out who Satan is. What's the big point? Like, why are you spending so much time? Well, he's the arch enemy of God and he is the one that everybody's blaming for everything that's going wrong. So let's at least find out where he came from and what this is all about. That's my opinion. Okay. So, the more I've studied, the more brilliant it is. The more that Christ did that I didn't even know that he did because I wasn't taught it. I wasn't shown in the scripture. Um, so out of that same book of Enoch, uh, if you read 1 Peter verse 3, 19 through 20, it says this, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Have you read that? I've read it. Have you thought what it's talking about? Like, if Christ did that, why did he do it? What's the point? Do we need to understand it? What's happening? He's speaking to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So, who are the spirits that he's talking about that were in prison? My assumption would be when Christ was in the tomb for three days. We're studying the resurrection. And he went through into hell. Yes, he went into the place of the dead, and this is where he spoke to the spirits, those in disobedience. So which ones were they? The Nephilim, the watchers, okay? It's the watchers he's talking about. All right. Or, because we always say, oh, it's it's the people that died prior to, and they're preaching to them and giving them an opportunity to hear the gospel and all that. Well, it was those that worked disobedience. So I don't, uh, look, whenever Jesus talks about hell, Remember what he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what hell was made for, the devil and his angels. All right, so in 2 Peter verse two, or chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the watchers. He's talking about the Nephilim, the sons of God that slept with the daughters of men. That's what he's describing. Is that what he said? The angels that sinned. He's not talking about people. He said angels that sinned. Yeah, if you want to be literal about it, like that's kind of how you have to read it. That is. Yeah. So that's he's describing this. And a lot of times we're taught like he was preaching to the old souls that didn't know the gospel. Listen, it says angels that sinned. Okay. So he spared them not. But he, when he says spared them not, he's talking about, you know, if he doesn't spare them that sin, what do you think is going to happen? So what I've learned in this study because of the pseudepigrapha, I've, I found that 
whenever Christ came and Satan came, Satan was the ruler of all of these. It says right there and right there, he said, spare not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, right? So there is the father of lies, the, the one that started with the lying from the beginning that told Eve that you won't surely die. He's the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning, he says, because she died spiritually. He killed her, and then she died physically. Like, And we talk about the sin that came through Adam, yes, and Christ was the second Adam. Yes, he did. He came and he fulfilled it in his own flesh. However, there are all of these evil, dark forces. Did you look up Ephesians chapter 6? Okay. Can you pull that up real quick? I'm going to read one more while you've got it. So in the epistle of Hebrews 11.5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So when we say without faith, it's impossible to please God, he's talking about Enoch. Because of his faith, he was taken up. And then God gave him this massive vision. He showed him the mountains of God. He showed him those stones of fire. He showed him all of the gods that helped, that basically taught man how to sin. The depravity of man was taught by these fallen angels or gods or whatever you want to call them. They were taught this and they were given names. They, they had these names. It's it's crazy. That's really fun, though. It is. like, and So whenever, like, in, in the past, like, when I would read these things, what I would do is I would say, okay, I'm going nuts, and I would just, I'd walk away from everything, and I'd just quit thinking about it because I was like, I'm not going to go there because I don't understand it. Well, I have not because I ask not. If I want to have understanding, you have to seek and you shall find. Knocking the door will be opened. Well, this is the door I'm knocking on. I want to understand this a little bit better because I feel like, man, as we look at them now, we say, ah, it's just sin. Sure, but there was more to it. It was how we were taught. And if we were taught that way, then there we understand more about what Christ did fully for us by giving us it, it feels like a hall pass. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, anyway, read Ephesians chapter six. We read this all the time. Listen to this. This is something. Ephesians six twelve. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Oh, yeah. Read it again. Think about it. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right. So a man walks up to you and punches you in the mouth. Bam! Kicking him in the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you wrestling flesh and blood? Yes, if you're kicking him in the secret, but to a point. But the intention in his heart is what made him come up and punch me in the face. That's correct. But what does he say you're fighting against? Against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Yes. So the prince of the power of the air. We've heard of him, right? Mm -hmm. So these dark forces that we're talking about, that's in the New Testament. So he's even, he's recognizing it. It's my opinion that Paul knew the book of Enoch. It's my opinion. He may not have quoted it, but he knew it. He had to have, because he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish scholar. So he would have studied it. Absolutely. He, whether it was acceptable or not, he would have studied these things to be able to argue his point. 
What are they saying? It's not acceptable, or are they just saying it wasn't it acceptable was not to put it in the Bible? It was not accepted into their canon. Okay, I guess I think more what she's asking is, do you know why? Well, well, like if you read several things where someone else has written or studied, it's not that it's not necessarily acceptable. They're just saying it wasn't accepted to be put into the Bible, into the canon. There's no way. There's no way. It was too thorough talking about Christ, talking about the human one that was going to come. And so it was more in detail than any other any of the other Old Testament. Yes. And it was also explained by Paul that what was given to him was a mystery. Do you know how he talks about the mystery of the gospel of God? Not right offhand. So he, he uses marriage as a way to describe it. Okay. Right? So the mystery is that God gave the Mosaic law, that man had fallen, and that God gave the law to his people, to the Jewish race. He selected those people out of all of other nations, all other nations. But according to God's promise to Abraham, all nations would be blessed through his seed. In other words, Enoch and his book would most likely have been more revered because all nations were blessed through the Christ versus the Messiah that was coming from the Mosaic law. Am I making any sense? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean that Enoch is better or worse. It doesn't mean that Moses is better or worse. It means that when you look at the hierarchy, Moses was raised by an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, but he was raised by an Egyptian, and he was a lot farther away. Enoch was the seventh from Adam who was caught up into heaven and saw these things, and this book was written. Now, was it written by Enoch? Well, it's kind of interesting. He never died. He walked with God. We don't know. Could have been inspired if it was around 300 BC. Was it actually a lot longer before that? And this was just a translation that was found? Like, who knows? I mean, you could do this forever. Mm -hmm. We could guess and guess and guess. I was going to ask you who the author was of the book of Enoch. Well, they claim that it's Enoch because Jude says um, that and Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold the Lord. That's from the book of Enoch. And Jude said it was Enoch. So is it or isn't it? You see where I'm going with this? So you've got to make up your mind. Like if you're going to, if when you look at the Bible and you say, this is the word of God and I trust it full, fully. As soon as you start messing with the word of God, doctrines change really fast. It doesn't take much. Remember the argument we had about where the one comma was? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can move a comma and it, it changes an entire view. It's it's kind of bizarre. It, it really is. All right. So the watchers, like I said earlier, it's only found three times in the scripture, in the KJV anyway. I, uh, I need to point out that every time I hear the watchers, I see the weird alien things with the giant heads and uh, the, the <laughs> big collared trench coats that are kind of a part of Marvel. Well, oh, really? Are yeah. they called the Watchers? The yeah. Watchers, yeah. It's a Marvel, like, like yeah, stellar lore thing. Ah. Like, a super, they're super powerful. I wonder if that came from the Bible. I, man, seems a little too coincidental to not have to me. It feels like something that they probably, you know, it's altered significantly, but I bet it was, I bet it was inspired by. I mean, by. isn't it, it's safe to say, obviously, Stan Lee was Jewish. 
Oh, was he? I didn't yes, know. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Never Stan Lee about was it, his Cersei. pen name. That wasn't his actual name. Perhaps you should Google what Stan Lee's actual name was. He is Jewish, and I'm sure he would have heard of the Watchers. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably where it came from. I mean, they kind of fit the bill a little bit, too. There's enough similarity to, I mean, and so that's how I imagine them. Sure. That's, uh, that wouldn't surprise me in the least, you know. He came up with a lot of different characters, that guy. is pretty talented. Right. I hate that he didn't get to enjoy it, you know, until he was 93, you know, and that's when Marvel really kicked off. You know, it's still one of the biggest franchises today, you know, owned by Disney along with Fox News. Isn't that nice? Yeah, they it's worth a lot of money, and that's all they care about. Saw Black Widow. It was pretty good. Was it good? Yep. Yeah, I know. Scarlett Johansson uh, was in this movie called The Horse Whisperer uh, when she was a little girl. Have you ever seen that? No. With Robert Redford? No? No, it's kind of a—I know it's like kind of a classic, but no. Yeah, and I didn't know that horse whispering was a real thing. Did you know that? No. Do you know what that is? No. It's um like somebody that can go up to a horse, and maybe a horse is— um, has been abused or something. And this these people can go up to it and they can actually work with these animals that are afraid to be touched, but they can actually make them, you know, happy. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? Thought I had. About touching horses? No. <laughs> <laughs> About an individual, I know. I'll let it pass. I'll tell you later. <laughs> oh, Lord. If you can't make it on the on the podcast, it's bad. Well, if anybody ever hears it, I don't want them to hear their name. <laughs> uh, well, you don't have to say their name. All you have to do is say what color their hair is and their social security number. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I was listening to a testimony one time in church about a man who was doing some type of horse therapy and how he's seen God in the horse's eyes. And yeah. Horse people are weird. You heard it here, folks. This This was like... You hear testimonies in church, but you could have heard a pin drop in this one. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. He kind of (laughs) went, (laughs) wow. Did I mention the uh, Seminole of Stallions? Seminole of of Stallions. uh... (laughs) It went bad quick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway. Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher. And an holy one came down from heaven. So there's one. So we know that the watchers are heavenly beings, just because of what Daniel says. 4.17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it to the basis of men. And the final time it's said, Daniel 4.23, and whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. When you read Daniel, it gets, uh, you know, it, it gets difficult. But these watchers, again, Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Now, I wanted to uh, 
I wanted to read something kind of neat. Have you ever heard of Nimrod? Yes. In Genesis chapter 10 and 11, it talks about the city of Babel. Nimrod built that city. And for the first time in scripture, he was called a mighty man. So Nimrod built the, built the city of Babel, which is where the tower was built, which is where men g- gathered together in Genesis chapter 11. So um, I'm sorry I keep doing this, the back and forth of this, and I'm reading a lot of scripture, but you've got to hear the scripture in order to understand this, guys. It's, it's so necessary. So in Genesis chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be dispersed. They're building this because they don't want to be dispersed over the whole earth. And then verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is, the, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will, come, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. From there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all of the earth. So they wanted to build this temple, or wanted to build this tower, and it was called Babel, but it was Nimrod that built the city. It's really interesting. And he was a mighty man. Nimrod was a giant. Because he was a mighty man, Nimrod was a Nephilim. Something evil was afoot. Something was going on that wanting to bring the man together to build all of this into one single language. Has anybody ever used Google Translate? Yes. Yeah, it, 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 it works. Do you think that this electrical storm was brought on? But I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so, so now, if you go... I just read this to you, okay? I just read this place in Genesis 11. Now, I'm going to go to Psalm 82. Psalm 82 gives you a little bit more, all right? And then we're going to wrap this up because I'm going to read the last little bit of, of Adam and Eve. So listen to this, Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. All the nations were inherited through this promised seed of Christ. So he's talking about gods there. And so what we're taught is like, well, they're not really gods because it says, behold, I'm the Lord your God and the Lord is one. There is no God beside me. Well, what about the Ten Commandments? What about it? 
about not putting any other God yeah. before him. We talked about that. You can't put any other gods before him. But most people don't think other gods exist. So how can you be putting a God before him? But then if you read the Bible and talk about Baal. Right. And, um, oh, Lord, the one, the fish. Dagon? Baal. Yes. I mean, if if we can accept those gods. They think they see them as idols. They see them as statues. Like, oh, they're oh, just gods. Oh, not actual gods. But they are they, well, actual gods. To someone, I assume. You can make it be anything. To the you, nations. To those individual nations. What's the difference in making those gods gods to an individual any more than Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else just because one might be fleshly living and one might be that little pig statue little right there on the shelf. Right. He's, he's a very cute little piggy. He is, but if I wanted to make that my God, I could. Oh, do some that. people absolutely do you know? pretty much exactly that. Yeah. So what's the, why, who's to classify what specific kind of God it is? He's saying that thou shalt not put any other gods before me. He didn't say what kind of gods. He just said gods, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Gods. So why why would we put it in a box and say it's only... Because we're not pantheists. We're, you know, like we believe in one God. Only one God exists, and so that's all there was. One God exists to me. Yeah, because it sounds too much like mythology. What if it is like mythology? What if it is a true mythology? What if the Greek gods were actually real and God destroyed them? What if that was possible? Listen, there's so many things that we don't understand. We didn't know what atoms were until we started, you know, really, really digging with some microscopes and then we found them, right? We don't know. Like, we, I feel like we have all of these decisions made for us before we even have a chance to really understand it. And maybe some people went before us and they worked through all these confusing things and that's why it's the way this is. And then we would come to the end and find it on our own. I don't believe that though. I really don't. I think that if you study it, you're going to find out. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim here, Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. The Anakim. He says the sons of the Anakim. So I was like, that sounds so close, you know, to like, they're taller than we are. They're the Anakim. So I, I was like, well, who are the Anakim? So I looked it up. It's a Hebrew, Hebrew word, Anakim, described as a race of giants <laughs> descended from Anak. So oh. the Nephilim from Anak, like from that area, just like the other giants. So it's, it, it, guys, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. All right. So the last thing I'm going to read today, guys, and then we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to read The Life of Adam and Eve. This is a pseudepigraphal work. Uh, they believe it was around 200 BC prior to Christ, 2 to 300 BC. Um, what you're going to find, a, a very unique thing. After God created Adam and Eve, then he brought the divine council together, and he commanded that all the gods that were there in the divine council worship the man. And one refused to do so. Isn't that an interesting thought? 
There's always the one. Yeah. <laughs> There's always got to be one in the mix. Uncle Harv, you know, crazy Uncle Harv. So let's see here. The Life of Adam and Eve. I'm only going to read the first few verses. It says, When Adam and Eve were expelled from paradise, they made for themselves a tent and spent seven days mourning and lamenting in great sadness. But after seven days, they began to be hungry and sought food to eat and did not find any. Eve told Adam, Adam, my Lord. Then Eve said to Adam, My Lord, I am hungry. Go, seek for us something to eat. Perhaps the Lord God will look upon us and have mercy on us and will call us back to the place where we were previously. And Adam arose after seven days, and Adam arose and walked for seven days over all that land, but did not find food such as they had in paradise. Eve said to Adam, My Lord, would that I might die. Perhaps then the Lord God would bring you back into paradise, for it was because of me that the Lord God grew angry with you. Do you wish to kill me that I might die? Perhaps the Lord God will bring you back into paradise, since on account of my action you were expelled from there. Adam responded, Don't say such things, Eve, lest the Lord God bring upon us some other curse. Like, haven't you done enough, woman? (laughs) How could it be that I should raise my hand against my own flesh? Let us arise and seek for ourselves something by which we might live so that we might not perish. Walking about, they searched for many days, but did not find anything like they had in paradise. They only found what animals eat. Adam said to Eve, The Lord gave these things to animals and beasts to eat. Ours, however, was the angelic food. But justly and worthily do we lament before the face of God who made us. Let us perform a great penitence. Perhaps the Lord God will yield and have mercy on us and give us something by which we might live. Eve said to Adam, My Lord, tell me what is penitence, and how long should I perform it? lest perhaps we place on ourselves a labor which we cannot endure, and he not hear our prayers. And the Lord turned his face from us, because we did not fulfill what we promised. My Lord, how much penitence are you thinking of doing since I brought labor and tribulation upon you? Adam said to Eve, You cannot do as much as I, but do as much so that you might be saved, for I will do forty days of fasting. This was two to three hundred years before Christ. Forty days of fasting. This is something else that Moses did, but Ma- Moses fasted on off of food and water. Yeah. If you study, it's very interesting. You, however, arise and go to the Tigris River. Breathitarians in the Bible. All right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Tigris River, and take a stone and stand upon it in the water up to your neck in the depth of the river. Let not a word go forth from your mouth, since we are unworthy to ask of the Lord, for our lips are unclean from the illicit and forbidden tree. Stand in the water of the river for 37 days. I, however, will do 40 days in the water of the Jordan. Perhaps the Lord will have mercy on us. Did you notice how many days he said she should stay in? And how many should he? What's the difference? Three days. Eve walked to the Tigris River and did just as Adam had told her. Likewise, Adam walked to the Jordan River and stood upon a rock up to his neck in the water. Adam said, I say to you, water of the Jordan, mourn with me and separate from me all swimming creatures which are in you. Let them surround me and mourn with me. Let them not lament for themselves, but for me, for they have not sinned, but I. Immediately, all living things came and surrounded him, and the water of the Jordan stood from that hour, not flowing in its course. Eighteen days passed. Then Satan grew angry and transfigured himself into the brilliance of an angel and went off to the Tigris River to Eve. 
He found her weeping, and then the devil himself, as if mourning with her, began to weep, and said to her, Come out of the water, and rest, and weep no longer. Cease now from your sadness and lamenting. Why are you uneasy, you and your husband Adam? The Lord God had heard your lamenting, and accepted your penitence. All of us angels have pleaded for you, praying to the Lord, and he sent me to lead you forth from the water, and to give you the nourishment which you had in paradise, and for which you have grieved. Now therefore, come out of the water. I will lead you to the place where your food is prepared. Hearing this, Eve believed him and went out of the water of the river. Her flesh was like grass from the waters of coldness. When she had come out, she fell to the ground, but the devil stood her up and led her to Adam. When Adam saw her and the devil with her, he cried out with tears saying, Oh, Eve, oh, Eve, you wretched woman. No, he didn't say that part. Where is the work of your penitence? How have you again been seduced by our adversary through whom we were alienated from the dwelling of paradise and spiritual happiness? When Eve heard this, she knew what, that it was the devil who had persuaded her to go out from the river, and she fell on her face on the ground, and her grief was double, as was her wailing and lamentation. She cried out, saying, "'Woe to you, devil! For what reason do you fight against us? What concern do you have with us?' What have we done to you that you should persecute us so grievously? Why does your malice extend to us? Doesn't that sound like a better question than what we get in Genesis sometimes? It's like, woman. Yeah, like why? Yeah, yeah like it's why? It's a great you, question. What's the point? Yeah, why, did you, why did you deceive me? Like, what did I ever do to you? Well, in Genesis, does it ever, I mean, wait a minute. Let's back up. Where in the Bible does it ever tell you why it Satan? Doesn't. I, I didn't think so, but I'm just going to clarify. It like it just tell pops you. up in Genesis, like I'm going to take these people but out. I'm going to tell you from the pseudepigrapha, which is, it's going to give you an explanation. So there was somebody in the world, either this was inspired by God, or there was somebody that's like, all right, listen, I'm going to answer the question because obviously this guy had a problem with this lady, right? right. So here's your, you're going to get your answer. She cried out, you know, woe to you devil. And why does your malice extend to us? Did we ever take your glory from you or cause you to be without honor? Why do you persecute us, O enemy, impiously and jealously unto death? Groaning, the devil said, oh, Adam, all my enmity, jealousy, and resentment is towards you, since on account of you, I was expelled and alienated from my glory, which I had in heaven in the midst of the angels. On account of you, I was cast out upon the earth. Adam answered, what have I done to you? What fault do I have against you? Since you have not been harmed nor injured by us, why do you persecute us? The devil answered, Adam, what are you saying to me? On account of you, I was cast out from heaven. When you were formed, I was cast out from the face of God and was sent forth from the company of the angels. When God blew into you the breath of life and your countenance and likeness were made in the image of God, Michael led you and made you worship in the sight of God. The Lord God then said, Behold, Adam, I have made you in our image and likeness. We have been, right? Yes. All right. Having gone forth, Michael called all the angels saying, Worship the image of the Lord God, just as the Lord God has commanded. Michael himself worshiped first, then he called me and said, Worship the image of our God, Yahweh. I answered, I do not have it within me to worship Adam. When Michael compelled me to worship, I said to him, Why do you compel me? I will not worship who is lower and posterior to me. I am prior to that creature. Because he was made, I had already been made. He ought to worship me. 
Hearing this, other angels who were under me were unwilling to worship him. Michael said, worship the image of God. If you do not worship, the Lord God will grow angry with you. If he grows angry with me, I will place my seat above the stars of heaven and I will be like the most high. That was his response. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? Sounds like Ezekiel. Then the Lord God grew angry with me and sent me forth with my angels from our glory. On account of you, we were expelled from our dwelling into this world and cast upon the earth. Immediately we were in grief, since we had been despoiled of, our, of so much glory. And we grieved to see you in such great happiness of delights. By a trick, I cheated your wife and caused you to be expelled through her from the delights of your happiness, just as I had been expelled from my glory. Hearing this, Adam cried out with a great shout because of the devil and said, O oh Lord, my God, in your hands is my life. Make this adversary of mine be far from me. Who seeks to ruin my soul? Give me his glory, which he himself lost. Immediately, the devil no longer appeared to him. Wow, huh? Yeah, that's neat. And it does answer a question that... It's something that yes, you don't hear yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. It's just like all of a sudden. An answer, at least. Yeah. Now, if you were, have you ever seen The Devil's Advocate, the movie with Keanu yes. Reeves? Yeah, and Al Pacino. Yes. And Al Pacino's the devil, and he's like, I'm a fan of man. Right? I'm a fan of man. Like, he's always, I've wanted to give you what you want. I've always wanted, I'm not the sadist. He's the sadist. Right? I mean, when I watched that movie, I was like, this is evil, but so honest, you know, like it was like, I felt that way sometimes, you know, like things seem so sadistic in this world, but it's because of the the twisted nature. I think just human nature in and of itself, that's where all these stories come from, whether they're, we're just dealing with man. They've been dealing with it for thousands and thousands of years. The same man. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know. So would that mean that then as angels, they had free will also? That's the way that it looks. They had that they had free will. Well, you just said also as if man has free will. There are some people that don't believe in the freedom Correct. of will for I men. Know. Correct. Right. Yeah. I'm very close to being one of them. I probably am one of them, actually. I believe in the freedom of the will. Like Andy could shut off this recording right now. Or he could put this little rim shot right here. Hee-haw. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear it, but our listeners will. <laughs> So, I yeah, I don't, I don't know if I believe in free will either, but mostly because I believe everybody has reasons, mm -hmm. uh, either genetic or memory or whatever, for doing everything they do. Yes. Uh, so it's not that you don't have free will; it's just that cause and effect is different for every human. Like the thought would be, only man was created with free will; mm -hmm. that angels were not created. With free will, well, I think any anything where Lucifer is, uh, where you believe an angel was thrown out of heaven, I think you have to accept that an angel would have to have free will in order to anger God. Well, I thought There's, to myself, well, why would if if an angel did not have the ability to have his own thought, his own action, how would he rebel against God? Yeah, exactly. How would he? Yeah, doesn't make sense. If he was designed to be a rebel, oh well, to show okay. God's glory. That's could have been, mm -hmm. which okay, is what fair. it's what said about, about that man. Didn't occur to me at all. And yeah, in the book of Romans, it's what it says about man. It says if if we were predestined, 
then how can you find us at fault? Remember that? That's what it says in the book of Romans. If we were elected by God, if we were predestined into this as sons, but then there were some that were made for good purpose, you know, noble purposes, some made for common, then how can you hold it against us? And it says, does the clay ask the potter, why did you make me this way? That was Paul's excuse. And I'm like, yes. Like, yes, that's a great answer, yes, Paul. Do. Like, I would like to ask that question, which is exactly what Job did. So I was going to say, when you think about Job. Job asked a question and God looked at him. He never answered him. He just said, where were you whenever I set the line on this earth? Right, correct. And when I made it? Where were you when the sons of God danced for joy? He says that in Job chapter 38. Well, I think, you know, if you, if Satan angered God and he cast him down— he couldn't have cast him anywhere, but right in the middle of where we were at. <laughs> I mean, you know. These are all these questions that you ask, you know, and it's it's interesting. So once we get into the next episode, which will be a couple, uh, I think, I don't know that you, we're going to be here next week, Andy? Or, yes. Okay, it's the week after that or the third week that we don't. But anyway, uh, we're going to get into the next one. We're going to start getting to the New Testament, and we're really going to see a shift and I believe that um, with the understanding coming from the Pseudepigrapha and knowing that the New Testament writers knew the Pseudepigrapha and they were quoting from the Pseudepigrapha and they would have known it while they were living during the time. Remember, another point of hermeneutics is that you, it's audience relevance, right? The book of Thessalonians was written to the Thessalonians. It's not a newspaper for us to read. It was written to them, but for our benefit. So that's the other thing that we have to keep in mind whenever you're reading the New Testament, that the people that were reading these books were reading it and interpreting it in a much different way had, than we Yeah, are. they had different context. Yeah. Absolutely, sure. Like we talked about the Mark of the Beast. What was it for them? Right, yeah. It was an excellent question. It actually stuck in my head for weeks after you said it. I was like, yeah, what was it for them? You're like, it had to be something because it had to be relevant. Right, yeah. They would have, you assume that they would have been able to read that and understood its context without a further explanation. Otherwise, sure. what a waste of ink. Exactly. You know, it's like we dispersed it to everybody, this maddening nobody, word. Nobody knows what he's yeah, saying. Literally, nobody knows what this means. Crazy <laughs> thing we did. <laughs> But what's really cool is that people are going to read it for 2,000 years and still scratch their head. Who's yeah. the joke on? Right? Anyway. Hey, I'd like to just finish this off by saying that I'm stuck on the fact that uh, uh, God destroyed Babel because he was afraid of the power of human teamwork. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, much. really afraid of it or maybe? No. No, because... it sounds like afraid of it. Well, no, but what's going on, what you don't know, is when he destroyed it, you don't have the other books that describe what they were doing there. The book of Enoch does. Okay. And then you understand, you're like, he had to destroy it. Because if he didn't, they were going to sacrifice children. They were going to be a very, very like depraved and bloody gross people. That feels that sounds a little familiar. Yeah, that, that feels very missing then. Because the context missing. of that little bit you read about Babel is like they were just, I don't know, they were too strong. You it, <laughs> That's that's yeah. really the whole thing. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, look at them being let's, really good let's together. Let's build bricks and make them tall. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> let's climb up the water tower and write our name on it. You know, like don't do that. You yeah. know, yeah. there's there's that. Yeah, it, without all the information, it's hard to make a decision. So what we're taught 
in our churches is you don't question God. You just don't. Look what Job did. Job questioned, look what happened to him. You know, hey, buddy, you better watch out. It's like, hey, all that happened to Job before he questioned, I hope you know. Like, I want to know why. Like, wh- You know, I, I guess I haven't been going to church, you know, very long, what, seven years. But yeah. I've never been told not to question God. Never? No. Yes, you have. But I haven't spoke to anybody about You're it either. You're not listening good. I ain't hearing that. <laughs> Thank God maybe it's inspired by God and not who's saying it. Because yeah. I don't, how can you learn anything if you don't question? I, it's I, not the I think questioning it's probably of that. Some, I bet it's something you hear more if you're in the church younger. Yeah. Because maybe. it's just like, I think it's just too difficult to, I think it's too difficult and time consuming for adults to explain. But I think in my, like sometimes. if we're going to have a relationship, if it. me and you are going to have a relationship or me and you are going to have a relationship, to build that relationship and, and grow it, we're going to ask each other. Why? Oh, absolutely. You know? Sure. Isn't that what the whole point is in salvation is the relationship being restored between man and God? And yes. You want to grow a deeper, more understanding and a closer relationship mm-hmm. with him? Well, how are you going to do that if you don't question? Okay. Well, have you ever had someone try to tell you something and you didn't understand it? So rather than just wrestle with it, you just say, I'm just going to take it on faith. Have you ever done that? No, I usually, hey, Rick. Oh, good grief. <laughs> You're in trouble now. <laughs> I've done that. I mean, hey, Rick, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember that? What about this? Yeah, like, do you believe in soul sleep? You know? And I told you, yeah, I believe in soul sleep. And there are many preachers that would say, no, there's no such thing as soul sleep. And I'm like, really? Well, the absence from the body is the presence with the Lord. It's like, well, then you're not reading your own books. You need to read your books and listen to what it says. Slept with his father. Well, that was before Christ, but then the resurrection hasn't happened, theoretically. We were still waiting on it. So where are the souls at? Because they don't go until the resurrection takes place. Right. That's why I understood it. Uh, that's what it says. They fold up very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many souls can you fit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the head of a needle. You know. <laughs> anyway. All right. Sorry. Well, then, uh, yeah, we're going to get back to the resurrection next week while Cherry's gone. Cherry's going to share this um, podcast with all of those little kids up on the reservation. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand these kids. (laughs) I wish everyone, anybody that ever hears this could see the side eye she gave me (laughs) right before she said probably not. It was chef's kiss (laughs) side eye. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, Thanks a lot, Cherry. Thanks, Andy. It was great. Thank you. Yep. You guys have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. She just remembered our conversation uh, last you week. T- you tell him what he So we were outside there talking about being on the billboard, about the drawings. Uh-huh. I had said to Rick, I said, I like, uh, I think Andy pretty much said that Billy's the only one that's going to look good up there and the rest <laughs> of us are just screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come out and you're like, you look good. I yeah. said, now he tells us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Billy's the hottest of the group. Oh, it's true. He's the eye candy. Yes. He and he's, he's the eye candy. He's got the, the sexy voice. I, yeah, both. It's not fair. It's not fair. Not at all. Nope. <sighs> Why are you what being was, so quiet? What was that the kind mic. of a... What was that? Darn Nurbit. <laughs> I forgot the name of that beer. Which that, one? The Red Dog? Yeah, I was going to say... Rick, it's one of those days we need one of those Red Dog beers, hot. (laughs)
<laughs> so Billy said, a hot red dog and touch my secret. Yeah. <laughs> Did you look that up? No. It's in the Bible. Oh, you're talking about that. I thought you were talking about the red dog beer. Yeah. Whenever we get together and we're going to go over that, you know, the Bible verses out of context, mm-hmm. I think I sent it to you and Billy, didn't I? Because you sent me back like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, because it's pretty harsh. I'm trying to look for it. But, I was thinking, why didn't she just kick him in the secrets instead of grab him? Who <laughs> <laughs> wants to touch somebody else's secrets like that? I mean, at this point, you know, I just love the fact that they call it secrets. That is funny. And it actually, I said secret, but it actually is secret. So it says, uh, what is it? Deuteronomy. It's like Billy says, what are you going to Deuteronomy? <laughs> <laughs> Deuteronomy 25, 11 through 12. When men strive together one with another. And the wife of the one draweth near for to deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth forth her hand, and taketh him by the secrets. Then thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. So if your woman tries to protect you in a fight by grabbing the other man's junk, you got to cut her hand off and have no pity. <laughs> now, that's my kind of rules. <laughs> Kick the secrets. <laughs> then you could say, technically, I didn't grab them. True. So I don't lose any limbs. No. Hey, extremes. Andy, I don't know if you know this, but if you shake your secrets more than once, it's playing with it. <laughs> <laughs> now don't play with your secrets, children. <laughs> I'm going to read this one to you, Andy. This is what this is. It says, when men strive together one with another and the wife of the one draweth near for to deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth forth her hand, and taketh him by the secrets, then thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. So I was saying, if if there's two men fighting, and the wife of the one man's trying to save her husband, and she grabs that other dude by the junk, you gotta cut her hand off. You gotta off. cut her hand off. <laughs> That's... I mean, to, that to be fair, like, it's a very strange way to stop a fight. <laughs> Not just like kicking a man in the genitals, but just like kind of grabbing a hold of him. Yeah, just getting him. <laughs> man, can you imagine being, you know, during this time in the 1600s in England? I mean, they called them the secrets. That's too funny. Well, while we're joking around, there's this preacher and he's walking down the road, right? And he looks and he, he hears this kid yelling in the distance and he gets up close enough and he hears this kid saying, get your damn fish, get your damn fish. So the preacher walks up to him, he says, young man, he said, I don't think I've ever heard a, a boy, a child of your age, use that kind of language. He said, preacher, I caught these fish in the dam. And he goes, oh, he said, well, in that case, how much do you want for those fish? And he said, a dollar a piece. So he buys four. He carries it home. And so just to be fun, the preacher throws the fish on the table in front of his wife and says, cook this damn fish. (laughs) So his wife's like, husband, I can't believe you use that kind of language in this house. You're a preacher. He said, they were caught at the dam by the boy down the street. She goes, oh, okay, funny. So she cooks the fish and later she calls everybody to dinner. And so the preacher sits down and his son sits down and the wife comes in and she throws the fish on the table and she said, here, now eat your damn fish. 
And the little boy says, that's right, mama, and pass me the damn potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Holly told me that one. That is how kids work as well. (laughs) That is actually how children work. That's funny. That's very funny. 